Daniel Nevins is an artist and a licensed clinical mental health counselor, and he's a friend. He's known my husband Dana for many years, and when I was thinking out loud to Dana about what it really means to do horses as an art, Dana said, you should ask Dan. <laughs> so I did. We discussed art, life, harmony, and how it all connects to horses, and so much more. So you may want to have a pen and paper handy for this one, and plan on listening a couple times. To learn even more about Dan and his art, make sure you check out the links in the show notes for this episode on my website. So here we go. Episode 47, Art, Life, and Horses. Hi, I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony. Because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. All right. Well, hello, Dan. Thank you so much for being here. Hello, Karen. I'm happy to be here. I'm honored to be here. Oh, awesome. <laughs> All right. So this is um, one of my episodes where I just kind of not really sure what we're going to talk about, but I'm going to start the conversation and we'll see where it goes. I do this often all by myself, so it's nice to have company. <laughs> I'm happy to go along for the ride. Awesome. All right. So how this started that I asked you to be here is um, I often say that I practice the art of dressage or the art of horsemanship. And mm -hmm. I was thinking out loud the other day uh, to Dana saying, what does that even mean to do the art of horsemanship? Like compared to what? And so Dana, my husband said, uh, you should ask Dan. <laughs> so as you know, I did. Uh, you know, your experience as an actual artist, I think, will really give you some perspectives on this. Um, and then also, you are a licensed clinical mental health counselor. So then Dana said, oh, you should also ask him about harmony and relationship, too. <laughs> so, you know, these are all things that, that my listeners are really interested in. Um, they think a lot about how to have a relationship with their horse and and have harmony with their horses. Um, but we, I think, you know, I talk about the art of dressage a lot. So I know it resonates with, with my people, but I realize I don't really know what that means. <laughs> so um, in the spirit of, you can't see the picture from inside the frame. See how I did that? It's like a little art reference there. Um, I think it's fun to talk to non-horse people about these pretty universal subjects. But, you know, sure. to kind of step out of our own world and get a different perspective so that we can better understand what we do with horses. So that's why you're yeah. here. <laughs> well, you know, I hate to push back like immediately, uh, but the idea no, that, you that you don't know anything about art is absolutely incorrect. Um, as you know, this isn't the first time we've met and I've seen your artwork. You are an artist, and um, so I'm honored that you think that I can bring something to the subject that you know very well, and I know you're being kind of um, uh, um, reticent in touting your own <laughs> home, but I can do that. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I never, um, um, I just do it, but I haven't thought about it a whole lot or maybe maybe with your art you also do it but don't think about it too much but yeah like what what makes anything that you make what's the difference between you know what makes that art or is is there something that's not art or what does you know okay maybe um helpful to define our terms a little bit you know I had a very good friend who once broke it down for me that there's art, the artist, and the artifact. And the way he put it is, okay, we know what the artist is. 
whoever makes this thing. And we know what the artifact is, a painting, a sculpture, whatever. But let's think of the art as the process, right? Not as the end result, but as the process, the willingness to engage in the unknown to some degree. Um, I think, you know, I've heard authors say, I write so I can find out. It's not that I know something and then I'm going to give it to you. The process of writing helps me understand. You hear that from teachers a lot too. You being a master teacher, I'm sure in the teaching, something happens and informs you, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes yeah. I'm teaching somebody else and I go, oh, I should try that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, take my advice. I'm not using it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is weird how that happens though. It is. Um, so I think that when we're talking about art, we're talking about the process, not the finished product, not the commodity, not the thing that hangs on a gallery wall. Right. It's, mm. It's sort of a participatory initiation. You're an artist if you're involved in the act of making and tying it together with psychotherapy. We're all in the act of making our lives. You know, I've come to have a very broad view of what art can be and I know people who can make you a cup of tea and it's a beautiful piece of art. You know, it's, it's maybe it's a, a, a kind of reverence for mm. the process for being here. It certainly has to do with being in the moment. I don't think we can engage in any kind of art, uh, when we're ruminating about the past or we're, anxious about the future. So I would say that's another thing that's about art. Um, and, you know, when I'm engaged in a painting, let's say, um, I have to actively create ways of me not knowing where the painting's going to go. I have to get lost. If I can get lost, I can find an interesting way back home. And that trail is the art. Um, if I don't get lost enough, then I'm not, it's not an interesting way back home. So um, I think I'm always kind of dancing with the unknown. And I can tell when I'm not, uh, when the process doesn't have enough unknown qualities to it. Mm -hmm. um, so how does that relate to being on a horse? I mean, you're not going to control that horse, right? I mean, you have a relationship with it. But well, it, it, it's interesting because just that alone, I think, is, I mean, everything you're saying is like, clicking these boxes in my head of like, oh, that's, that is the difference. <laughs> because you know, there's so many different ways to be with a horse. And yes. a lot of the way that people want to be with horses is with a, a goal of controlling them. And you know, what, what popped into my head is like, when you said the unknown, um, like, what's the opposite of that? Like, what kind of painting would not be art? Well, maybe like paint by numbers, <laughs> right? It's all written out there. And I think so many times with, um, with dressage, especially because it's very precise uh, endeavor. A lot of times the students that I see getting hung up and being maybe not feeling like they're practicing an art are the ones who are really um, focused on, is this right or is it wrong? And they're trying to follow, you know, these hundreds of years of tradition and this is the way you do it. And the horse needs to fit, you know, submit to those aids and things like that. Um, but everything you were saying, like willingness to engage, I mean, that's, that's a term that I, I use with horses. 
that you want to get okay. your horse to be willing to engage. Um, participatory initiation, that the horse is agreeing to participate in this, a reverence, being in the moment. Um, those are all like, I mean, phrases I'll use exactly with horses. So, and, I, and just, I love how you differentiated that it's the, it is the process. It's the way, the way you're doing yeah. it. So I, I, I think, I mean, okay, the pod's over now. <laughs> like that, that was just answered the question because it is really an honoring of the horse during the process. If you're not honoring the horse and, and trying to get willingness and participation, you know, then it's just moving, trying to make a body move around, which doesn't feel very artful. <laughs> Boy, everything you're saying is sparking more things in me too. Um, I'm working on a commission painting right now uh, for somebody who saw that I seem to have a habit of painting blue horses. Honestly, I don't know where it comes from. I, I might have seen it somewhere. Um, old painters like Franz Mark and I think Kandinsky both had, uh, I know Franz Mark had a blue horse. I'm not sure about Kandinsky, but Kandinsky definitely had horse and rider imagery. Um, and I've been asked a couple times just recently, well, what is the blue horse to you? And I had to think about it. And for me, the blue horse is life itself. That when we're born, we're put on the blue horse. Wow. And that's what we ride throughout this life. You're not allowed off the blue horse until your time here on earth is done. So wow. life itself is being put on the blue horse. And when we talk about control, you know, that's that as a psychotherapist, my ears go up when I hear people talk about control because how much control do we have? You know, one of my specialties is dealing with anxiety. And here's the thing. Anxiety itself is not the problem. It's everything we do to avoid anxiety. Literally, oh, that's the disorder. Yeah, that's the disorder. Experiencing anxiety is very adaptable. We should all be a little anxious, you know, if the situation calls for it, you mm -hmm. know. Um, but when we try to control our anxiety, or even more, when we try to control our environment so we won't feel anxious, now we're in the process of making our world smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. So over control is the problem. And what does that look like? Well, that looks like not being open to life, not being living with an open heart, you know, um, there's a great Zen writer named Joan Halifax. And she has this image that we have to have a strong back and a soft front. And so what does that mean? Well, the strong back is being grounded in our values, um, in our, what I would call our observer self, that part of us that knows we are not our thoughts, that there's a pure awareness here. Um, and what's the soft front? The soft front is allowing, allowing life. Because we have a strong back, I'm not, I'm not uh, subject to the vicissitudes of life. I don't need life to always make everything the way I want it to be. Mm -hmm. So it's permeable. It's okay, you know. Again, not controlling, letting something in. Everything's transient. Good times don't last. Neither do bad times. But that pure awareness does. So you can see people go through life with a shell on their front, 
maybe even think about it as a, a, a week back. And knowing they have a week back, they have a shell and armored front. Well, that's a high price to pay to go through life with an armored front. Mm-hmm. You know, that armored front is saying, if I open up, I make myself vulnerable to pain and pain only exists in the present, you know, even if it's about something from the past, when we open up to the present, we open up to pain. But if we shut down the possibility of pain, we also shut down the possibility of joy because joy only exists in the moment. So having that strong back, grounded in who we are, our values, our observer self, our pure awareness, allows us to have this open front. And that open front says, I can't control this any more than I can control a horse that's so much larger than me, right? Mm-hmm. Life is larger than we are. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this, so it just connects. Yeah, yeah please. it connects so perfectly. Because, yeah. you know, you're right we we can have the illusion or the we can think that we can control a horse but anybody who spent enough time around horses has met a horse who just goes no and then they remind us that like we really we really can't make them do anything that they don't allow us to get them to do so one of the one of the things i i really teach is to um to try to build communication rather than control and so one of the exercises is you know, you teach your horse to go where you're focusing. So you focus on this point and you let them go, knowing that they'll probably wander off and it's okay. You bring them back. And in doing that process in the beginning, yeah, you're off track a lot, but you open up the possibility of you look and your horse just goes there. So if you always try to control it, maybe you can manage to wrangle it kind of so it looks like it wants to go in that direction. But, um, but you know you're fighting it the whole time, maybe even in a refined way. So in that possibility of I might, I might go off course is also the possibility of like, oh my God, I just looked at my horse, like went there <laughs> together. So yeah, that being vulnerable in that moment to go it's okay if things might go off course because if you if you always prevent that from happening then you also prevent the the really magical moments that we're actually really trying to achieve with horses instead of just submissiveness all right i'll do it because you know the alternatives are not as pleasant you know having a horse just like let's do this together (laughs) Wow. Yes, what could, which is so much more than either one of you could have come up with on your own. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's I'm where that's about- where I think horses are the most magical because you you end up doing something that neither one of you can do by yourselves. Really, I mean, or might not think you know things your horse would necessarily think of doing, except that well, they're there. You know, that's that's something that came to mind for me um, when I hear the word harmony, you know, which is, of course, the title, is in the title of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't help but think of music and people singing in harmony. Um, you know, the... say like the Everly Brothers or something. Imagine two voices, right? Two brothers. When you hear the Everly Brothers sing together, it's like a third voice. It's not one plus the other. That's, there's something else that happens. There's an alchemical process there that our ears pick up that isn't just one plus one equals two. It's one plus one equals a million. There's something that happens when they come together that is more than just combining two good things. Um, so I think about that in harmony. And I think that's sort of what you're talking about in terms of 
you know, you and the horse collaborating to make something else happen. I also think of, of course, jazz music, you know, jazz, yeah. you know, <laughs> but I have to be listening as well as playing, right? I'm going to react to what that person's doing, you know? If that keyboard player does this, oh, I, ooh, that's a challenge. I'm, I have to meet that. And we have to do something together. And, you know, I've been fortunate just to have a few moments like that in my life, you know, with music. To just say, whoa, where did that come from? Yeah. And I imagine the same riding a horse, right? Like, whoa. For a second, we weren't just horse and rider. We were a third thing. Yeah, when like who's leading and who's following? I don't know. It's like we're just both doing something cool together. It, it's funny that you the I use the music analogy a lot, and and you know, I'm not really a jazz person. I mean, I, I get it, but it's not my choice. But so sometimes when uh sometimes with jazz it feels like oh a bunch of musicians just start playing, and at some point they figure out that how to end at the same time, you know. <laughs> but um and so sometimes when the horse is it's like okay it might not be perfectly in sync i just go oh you're just doing some freeform jazz for a while <laughs> but you'll come oh, back right. together <laughs> exactly we'll get there we'll get there you'll get there yeah. <laughs> just keep playing yeah. Yeah. yeah but boy aren't those moments though right yeah and that's that's, that's the thing is to yeah. to notice those moments um you know that that's the real art is how do you, how do you set things up so that those moments happen? But the truth is they can happen anytime, anywhere, no matter what your level it's, it's, yeah. it's like a, I like that. It's like an, an alchemy kind of thing. It's like the, the weather is just right. Your, your frame of mind is just right. The horse's frame of mind is just right. Your balance is just right. All of a sudden it's like you could be walking down the trail or doing something super fancy, but it's just like you disappear inside each other. And it really does feel like you, you, you know, I can't tell where my horse ends and I begin, you know, what's that? Was that guest yeah. jeans or no, what advertisement was that from like the eighties or nineties? I can't tell where you begin yeah. and I end. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's this, this other thing that happens. And I think with horses, I guess with any art that, that can be really fleeting. And I think in sometimes in trying to recreate that, it ends up, it's so easy to end up being paint by numbers. It's like, oh, well, I did X, Y, and Z yesterday and I felt a magic moment. So I'm just going to do X, Y, Z again today. It's like, how do we practice to take, okay, that worked, let's recreate it. But then I find if you just try to recreate it, then you're just copy, you're a copy of a copy. It's like, again, how do you gain your experience? gain your skills, set yourself up with your, you know, what experience has taught you, but still be open there to let is. the magic happen. Soft front. You can't recreate. Soft front. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, you know, I can even imagine, you know, times where you say, gosh, you know, the weather's perfect. I feel great. The horse seems good. And you don't hit the magic for whatever <laughs> no. reason. Like, but there could be days where, you know, it's overcast, you have a headache, the horse doesn't seem good, and it happens. Right. So, what, you know, there's an old saying somewhere, um, something like, the muse wants to catch you working. <laughs> oh, <laughs> interesting. So we can sit around and wait till the conditions are perfect, or we can keep showing up, keep knocking, even when it doesn't feel good. I have psychotherapy clients who say, I, I don't want to come in today. I don't feel good. I'm like, today might be a really good day for you to come in. Yeah. You, know? you don't have to come in just when you feel good. That's, that's not what this is about. Yeah. And you yeah, know, that, one that of my happens with students. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No. Um, I was just going to say that, you know, one of my heroes is a guy named um, Stephen Hayes, who developed acceptance and commitment therapy. And he says something along the lines of the point is not to feel good. The point is to get good at feeling. Mm, I love that. Wow. 
whatever it is. Yeah. Soft frown. Allow that. Allow that. There's some great information in bad feelings or, you know. Yeah. Because that, that just that what you said about people not wanting to come in for the therapy, um, that happens with lessons too. Like we, we do video coaching in our courses and, uh, and sometimes people like wait the whole course, like six months and they haven't used their coaching and they're like, I'm not ready. I'm like, well, if you're not ready, you need to do it. Like we're not, it's not a, you're not being judged. We're here to help you. But so that is the soft front, right? That's that vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Let me just, you know, the, there's, there's all this judging piling on, like, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And that, that starts to close, makes your world smaller, right? Instead of just opening. Smaller. Yeah. Hard for humans. It's, it's hard for humans. We are control animals, you know? And I love that you use the word vulnerability because I think still even with all the work that's been done recently with people like Brene Brown and, mm-hmm. and those people, still so misunderstood. It's still quite seen as synonymous with weakness. And it's like, no, not at all. It takes real strength to be vulnerable. Yeah. You know, there is no courage without vulnerability. What would, right. what would a courageous act be if you weren't putting yourself in a vulnerable position? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and often the biggest, you know, when you look, when I look back, the biggest transformations in my life, I was a bit scared right before it. And those are the best stories. You know, those are the best, the the most transformative moments with the biggest payoff, whatever that means. But, um, yeah, yeah. And, And I think we're also talking about discomfort, just plain old discomfort. You know, I don't, I'm not sure if you can learn without experiencing discomfort. You know, learning is about being a little bit off balance. It's challenging whatever you thought before. And by definition, you don't yet know it. You don't yet know how to do it. So we talk about this a lot with horses because there's, you know, we want to be nice to our horses. Right. We all love our horses, but there's, you know, sometimes the idea of pressure has given a bad rap. Like you should never put pressure on your horse. And I think, but you're, the definition of training is you're asking the horse to do something it doesn't yet know how to do. And pressure, you doesn't always mean you hit them harder. Pressure can be a puzzle. It can be like, oh, you haven't figured it out Mm -hmm. yet or a lack of coordination. But as, as a trainer, I love riding that line of like, here's what we can do. Here's what we really can't do. And here's, here's the, 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 just the edge and to be able to recognize that edge and, and play with that little bit of discomfort in a positive way that gets the horse to, to try it with you and to, to know, to be comfortable doing things you cannot yet do. Um, but that is a different mindset. I I know, you know, as a trainer, I, I, I love that moment. I find that really interesting moment but i know that sometimes with students that's a really difficult moment because they feel judged or they feel wrong or they feel not good enough so quickly and so much of what i do in my teaching is about um, empowering people to like not be afraid to mess it up and to to just you know whoa that really got awkward you know and to to say it out loud it's like instead of going oh my god i did it wrong oh my god everybody's looking at me and just really dive into that moment. And, and, um, and I have some, some sayings. I'm like, well, just if you do something and it messes up, you just go, oh, that's my artist's rendition of <laughs> some, the movement soon to be known as whatever it was I was trying to do. Like it's to, to be okay with it not okay. And yeah. just live there and play with it. And yeah. see if you can get it a little better. Do you notice students and or horses on that leading edge and they pull back? It's like, yeah. they want to stay there. Is that what you're yeah, talking it, about? Yeah, it's interesting. So with, with horses, I think, okay, there's the line. You know, I think of a, a box of like your playing field of stuff you're comfortable with. 
everything that's you're okay with is inside the box. And then outside the box is everything you're not yet, you know, you don't understand, you're not comfortable with, you don't trust it, or you don't understand, whatever it is. And when you get to the edge, you have a choice. You can go, all right, I can just go, hmm, maybe not today. That's too much for today. I'll go back inside the box. Or you stay there and you go, okay, how can I expand my box? How can I up-level my communication? How can I grow the trust that my horse has in me in this moment? How can I better my balance or my coordination so that I can stay there and now my playing field is bigger for the horse? And, and just know in that moment, yeah, because a lot of times students want to go like, they either want to go, no, I don't want to do that today. I want to go make nice, nice again. Or sometimes they can get too controlling because they want to fix it up too quick. And in trying to fix it up too quick, you end up not getting there because now you're, yeah, now, now you're doing things that aren't going to naturally allow the horse to figure it out because you're back to controlling. So again, the process, right? I guess enjoying that messy process of, the paint, paintings look funny until they're done. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> a terribly awkward phase. I just experienced that. And okay. it always feels like I've never done a painting. It always feels like I'm a beginner. Really? There's some kind Still. of angel that comes in every time. Every time <laughs> I go, well, this is it. This is the time that we find out I'm a fraud. Okay. You know? <laughs> Oh, that darn imposter but, syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But I love what you were what you were just saying about, you know, people pulling back from that that edge. You know, I see that a lot in psychotherapy. You know, they they someone has a little bit of an insight and then they want to go back to something familiar. Mm-hmm. And I say, Hey, can you stay with that? Can you just stay there? You know, don't even put it into language. Can you just stay in that feeling and breathe into it? Can you just breathe into that? Don't try and do anything to it. Don't put language on it. Don't try and explain it to me. Just stay in that, you know, so that there's a kind of habituation to that uncomfortableness, you know, and the breath is a great way to, okay, okay. I'm not going to back away from, you know, When I talk to people about anxiety, literally the the clinical definition of anxiety is an intolerance for uncertainty. Whoa, really? Yep. Wow. And by extension, that's what OCD is. That's what obsessive compulsive disorder is. You're trying to- Maybe I'll put the word in there, perceived intolerance for uncertainty. We perceive us to not be able to tolerate that uncertainty. So control comes in, right? Control. Okay, I have to control this, control that. Because uncertainty is just untenable. And I have to break it to people. You know, I wish I could take uncertainty and make it smaller. I can't. I can't make the world a more certain place. You may have a heart attack this afternoon. I don't know. So what's our option if we can't make uncertainty smaller? We make you bigger. Mm. You're going to, and by expanding you, we create room for you to take in uncertainty. Now you can welcome uncertainty in because you're bigger than it is. Gosh, that's like the same, that's the same thing. (laughs) Dan, you and I, we're on the same wavelength here. This is amazing. I'm doing, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I kind of know, but it's just so fun to talk about it like that. Yeah, it's the same. Analogy. Well, you know, equine therapy is a big thing. Yeah. It's a big deal, especially up here in Asheville. Oh, you know, yeah. People who don't respond to, you know, different kinds of interventions, put them on a horse. Let's move out of language, right? Let's get out of language. Let's get into a rhythm, a rhythm with, you know, nature itself and another being. We're mammals. We're mammals and we co-regulate, right? 
You and I are co-regulating right now, mm -hmm. right? But boy, a horse and a human, you know? You can see where it would go wrong and someone get dysregulated, but boy, when it's happening, yeah, it's therapy. So I, yeah. I think not only are you doing art, Karen, you're also doing therapy. Well, my horses make me the best that I can be, and they <laughs> also test me all the time. <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's uh, yeah, a lot of my personal, my, I've always been into personal development, but, like, yeah, there's nothing like the horses, because you, I find, I have to be, I have to be at my best for my horses. And, you know, sometimes it, the way you do everything is, anything is the way you do everything. It's like the... I have gotten comments from, from people I work with of like, you changed my life. I'm like, no, I didn't. I gave you a writing lesson. And then finally I started realizing like, oh yeah, this is kind of like life. Everything comes up. Everything in life comes up when you're with a horse. Yeah. We're all on the blue horse, whether there's a We're horse around. We're all on the blue or... horse. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe that's why I chose that image. Because it is powerful, it is connected to life itself, and you can be in communication with it, but you're not going to control it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I sometimes get the image of you know a person in a pool, and there's a, a like a beach ball bobbing on the surface, right? And whenever we go for it, it gets further away. <laughs> <You know>? Right. <laughs> the thing to do is just to wait. And eventually it just rolls back to us. Yeah. 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 There's a, a, there's a real beautiful... power. In, there's a power in non-doing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that I think is for me personally, one of the most, well, I was going to say probably with life too, but with horses, it just sort of amplifies it and puts it right there in front of you of that. Um, how do you balance just allowing things to happen with performing the skill that you know can get it to happen? <laughs> That's the dance because I feel like, yeah, you know, there's, well, there's a couple things. There's the skills that I've, you know, honed over years and I know how to apply them. But the the magic is still it's letting go of the skills in a way. The magic is the magic is what's actually happening between me and that horse on that day in that moment. And I can't, I've never been in that moment before and I never will again. So it's like, how do I open to that moment while still employing the skills? Well, you know what, as I'm saying this, if I talk slow enough, my brain can <laughs> solve the problems. I think it's like the skills that help me the most are the ones that help me when I'm not with my horse, kind of make a plan, a little bit of a like, hey, here's the sorts of things I need to be doing. And then the skills in the moment are about me being balanced. Really. And, and what is like, those are mean? like, those are the skills I'm thinking about. Or am I balanced in a way that the horse has the easiest time moving underneath me? It's that and then decision-making. But I think the decision, I'm not thinking the decisions. I'm, that's where I'm letting the experience guide me because I've thought about it ahead of time. But yeah, when I think about it, the, the really magic rides are my attention is on myself being here in, a, in balance with this moment. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Something like that. I'm I'm curious when you say balance, I'm guessing you're actually 
balanced in your body, but I get the feeling there's other things you're balancing too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely with riding because there's a physical balance required, but it happens even if you're just with a horse on the ground. I think it's that, you know, centering. And what was your um, yeah, definition of anxiety? It's like letting just... Yeah letting go of all the unnecessary thoughts that are p pulling at me and distracting me from this present moment. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. that's where horses live. I mean, I think that's the therapeutic value of horses. They live here, right here, right now. And they read intention and body language. So if your brain's somewhere else, while well, you're asking them to do something with your body, they're just like, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah, I did. I don't know why. As as you said that, it, the word disrespect came into my mind. Oh, interesting. I mean, to just not be in the moment with this animal who's who you've climbed on their back. I know. It's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> Please be in the moment. You yeah. know. Yeah. I've allowed this to happen. You're riding me. You're literally riding me. Um, yeah. It seems like the, it, it comes back to the reverence. Market. What you said exactly. about the reverence. So yeah, yeah, I think that that yeah, to know that you're in a new moment and with that oh. horse, and and to really honor that moment and be curious in that moment, because like I said, we've none of us have ever been in that moment. It's a new moment every day, every moment. And the, I think that where, where, when I feel like I'm not being artful in my horses is when it, it it's, um, I'm like, I got to get this done. I'm putting them through it. Like be, it feels like a factory. It's like, okay, bup, 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 next horse, next horse, next horse. Or I'm just doing what I think needs to be done. And I'm not really feeling for that horse in the moment. Cause when you feel the horse in the moment with curiosity, your plans go in different directions, as they should, I think. And they pick up on it. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. They can tell. They can tell when you're there. You know, I, I was reading, there's a wonderful book, I'm just about finished with, called Becoming Animal by David Abram. And I was reading a part last night where he was talking about how... Probably humans, a little bit further back in time, were probably better at this. There are probably still indigenous humans who are better at this, um, and animals certainly are. But the idea of listening with your whole body, mm. to be present, you know, we think of these senses, but there's a way of hearing with our legs. You know, there's a way of sensing with multiple organs, you know. You know, the, the Native Americans thought Europeans were crazy because they thought with their heads. <laughs> and when someone asked, well, what do you think? They're like, we think from our hearts. Like, they really thought the seat of cognition was in the middle of your chest. It's a very different way to go through life. Yeah. But I'm just yeah, imagining think... a horse opening that up, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's when we can when we can take advantage of these all these sensations that we get from horses, it, it I feel like I lose my thinking brain in in the best of the way, of ways, you know. That's where I get lost is because it's I'm just so busy feeling and not, not mm -hmm. just caught up in my, my agenda, I guess. Yeah. Letting, letting go of my agenda. And I have, I have a quote that is, uh, because dressage is very precise and it can really get people to try to stay in the lines. Yeah. <laughs> Don't color outside the lines. And so my quote is that uh, precision arrives out of the possibilities that play creates. And so again, to like help, 
help people just, you know, scribble on the page, you know, and, and you'll, you'll find what you're looking for because I think harmony feel your body, bodies seek harmony if given the chance. So if you play around without having to think you, both you and your horse will start to gravitate towards the harmonious places. And you can't do that if you're creating narrow lanes. <laughs> okay, I've got another metaphor. This one okay, might cool. be a little bit, but I like it because there is something about the way you were talking about, you know, allowing, creating in the moment and that kind of thing. I, I once heard the great, late great uh, Indian sitar player, um, Ravi Shankar, talking. And he was talking about the difference between Eastern music and Western music. And he said, you know, Western music has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It like tells a story, right? That's how we think. We think in stories, beginning, middle, and end. And he says, Indian music's not really like that. He says, Indian music is more like there's an underground river that's flowing all the time. And when we pick up our instruments, we tap into that river. And it comes out through us. And when we put our instruments down, we just pull our, our self out of that river. But the river's still playing, we just can't hear it. Wow. Does that make sense? That there's That's this cool. Yeah. Yeah, that there's this harmonious place we can be in all the time. If we can just tap into it, okay, now now I'm in it. Great. And I think through writing, through art, hopefully through psychotherapy, we can set up the conditions for us to tap into that more often. We can't control it, but we can set up the conditions within ourselves that it's more likely that we'll find ourselves in that flow. And again, I think we're talking about attention and being in the moment, being open, soft front. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. Trust, your trust in here somewhere too. Yeah, definitely. Lots of trust stuff with horses. Yep. I bet. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when yeah. you don't trust if you go to control <laughs> it always Whoa. has to come from vulnerability yeah you gain trust through vulnerability yeah. which is not easy yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well I some I just sort of felt the that analogy of the river and somehow the equating the blue horse of life with that river you know it's like that blue horse is oh, just nice. You know, we get to, we get to sit, you know, be with it, that blue horse and tap into it yeah. if we let wow. ourselves. Yeah. yeah. So cool. I think that's it. I think both of those are the same thing. That underground river and that blue horse. No doubt yeah. about it. That's how it feels to me anyway. I like it. Well, there, we solved it, Dan. We solved the <laughs> art of horsemanship. Well, you know... <laughs> As a psychotherapist, I'm a behaviorist, mm -hmm. meaning I believe if it doesn't change your behavior, then the insight is worth nothing. Right. We have to do things in this life. You know, it's easier to act our way into different thinking than to think our way into different acting. Mm. That's a good one. Yeah, you want to change your mood? Do different things. Yeah. Don't sit around wishing you were happier. You know, do something. You know, that's within our control. Pattern. I often tell clients yeah. right off the bat, I say, you know, your your thoughts and your feelings do not need to dictate your behavior. 
Yeah. Sometimes they're like, what? Like, yeah, you don't have to feel like doing something to do it. Yeah. I studied with um, uh, some a Toltec shaman guy mm-hmm. <laughs> for a little while. And one of his practices was um, what he called not doings. And it's where you do things you normally would not do. And it can be yeah. something really simple, like you're online at Starbucks and you just order the exact same thing the person in front of you ordered just to mm-hmm. do something different or just go a different way home mm-hmm. or go, you know, start small, but you just purposely, mm-hmm. you know, rearrange the furniture, <laughs> do, just oh. change, you know, change the energy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think we, I just did a, I did a podcast about the danger of getting stuck in a rut if you do things the same way. So I, I gave this analogy of, I used to, I was dragging my arena and, you know, if you do it really consistently, you think, okay, that's how you get consistent footing, right? You do it consistently. But if one little tine on the drag was a little off, then what happened is I created ruts. And pretty soon by being consistent, I ended up with ruts. So the way to get rid of the ruts was to like (laughs) drive all over the place in different directions. So I thought that just reminded me of that. Yeah. You want to, you got to change things up or you get stuck. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, that is really sound psychological, you <laughs> know, uh, intervention. There's something called paradoxical <laughs> intention. Um, some people call it paradoxical intention. Some people call it uh, prescribing the, sy- the symptom. Interesting. Um, which is... Doing the thing you're afraid will happen. Oh, wow. Um, I heard a story about an actor who was, he had real big stage fright. And I, I may have the details wrong, but it was something like there was a part in the play where somebody throws a hat toward him and he has to catch it. And he's like, one of these nights, I'm, I'm going to drop it. And he was talking to somebody, he goes, good, drop it on purpose. And he's like, no, no, the guy is supposed to catch it. And he goes, yeah, drop it on purpose. You need to see that nothing bad will happen. Right. Um, Bill Hader, who used to be on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Terrible anxiety, horrible anxiety. Yeah. And he, he said he used to do this thing. He played a lot of game show hosts and he would do something where if the cue card said, if the first thing he was supposed to say is good evening, ladies and gentlemen, he would purposely read it wrong. And he would say, good evening, boys and girls, just so he could prove to himself that it didn't matter. Wow. I can make a mistake and absolutely nothing happens. Just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, just disarms yeah. it, disarms the, like, well, exactly. <laughs> that was the worst thing that could have happened. So. <laughs> right. So that's that, 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 uh, lack of tolerance for uncertainty. Mm-hmm. You know, there I are people, to... okay. no, they, there are people, oh, I was going to say, you know, there are people with anxiety who say are afraid to go to the mall as an example. Well, what I might do is I might go to the mall with them and have them lay flat on the ground in the middle of the mall and let them see nobody cares. Nothing happened. (laughs) And that cures people because again, it's not anxiety. It's everything we do to avoid it. So if somebody is anxious about getting on a horse and doesn't want to come to the class, well, now they've just sent a signal to their brain that says, good thing you didn't go. It must be dangerous because you didn't go. Right, right. And they get a little bit of relief from the anxiety. So, oh, they're not going to go next time either. Right. So 
They don't have to let their emotions guide their behavior. Instead, they can breathe into that anxiety and come to the class. Yeah. Come to the class with their anxiety, allowing their anxiety, not fighting it, being with it. And naming breathing it. Breathing in. I'm a little anxious. Like to just name yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. You, I can imagine someone even saying to the horse, wow, I don't know what I'm doing. Just so you know, I'm not going to kid you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because because oh. what happens if you don't, if it's something they really want to do, then then is like the dreaded regret, you know? What if you keep avoiding and you talk yourself out yeah. of it, you know? But then if it's like if it's something you really wanted to do, mm -hmm. that anxiety stays yeah. in a different form. I actually have a um an art art class related story that's just about that. Um Please. When I was in university, I took a figure drawing class and it was super easy. Like it was on a Friday evening and you just had to show up to get an A and they have a live model and I used like newsprint and, you know, pastels or crayon, you know, whatever I was using. You could use anything you wanted. You could paint with anything or draw. And uh, so super easy, just had to show up and got an A. And uh, I always used like a thin charcoal pencil or something and I drew my certain way and I always managed to go where I'm behind so I don't have to draw the face and I never quite got to the hands and feet and I did the whole semester like this <laughs> just doing what I already knew how to do and uh, the instructor kept coming around and he'd walk past me and he'd just go don't be afraid to F it up and I'd be like okay, you know, in the next class I do the same thing. I'd stand behind the model, no faces, no feet, no hands. And he'd come by me and he goes, don't be afraid to bleep it up. And I'm like, okay. And went on all semester. <laughs> and then one of the last classes, he came over to me and he just stopped and he went, <sighs> and he went to my neighbor who was working these like great big colorful pastels and he grabbed a great big red and he put it in my hand, he grabbed my hand, and he scribbled all over it. And I was like, oh, my beautiful drawing. <laughs> and then I went, oh. <sighs> so the rest of the class, I'm like, and I like drew horrible faces and horrible faces. Like, who cares? I drew, you know, and I just made myself. And it was like, oh, I wish he had done that earlier in the class, but he did give me a chance. And it was a very memorable lesson because I realized I was just um, holding myself back. I was afraid to do it wrong. I was judging myself. I did not have a soft front. <laughs> and yeah. I didn't learn as much as I could have. Yeah, so that's, that's been um, a huge life lesson for me who tends to be a kind of like, I want to do everything, you know, the way it's supposed to be done. And that really, that really changed how I do things and I just realized the power of scribbling on the page and effing things up every now and then <laughs> yeah yeah try to do a bad one yeah yeah that's easy yeah we can all be successful with that <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's very liberating you know yeah. Picasso his whole goal in his whole life was to draw like a child. Really? Yeah. Huh. That somehow he knew too much and he couldn't get back to that original raw expression. Hmm. Technique can get in the way. You know? Technique is not what connects with an audience. I mean, it's great if it's there. But a robot can have technique, you know. Mm. Um, there's a great quote from Alan Watts, who talks about life being more like music and dance than anything else. And he says, you know, you don't want to just show the crowd the anxious rigor of your technique. <laughs> I love that phrase, the anxious oh rigor of your technique. I think when it comes to music, the people who we love 
get lost. Where are they? They're riding the horse, man. Yeah. They're riding the blue horse. They're not even here. They're just... And have you ever seen Yo-Yo Ma when he plays? He's gone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's gone, man. Yeah. And that's, that's our invitation to come along with him. You know? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think my head has enough <laughs> to ponder. <laughs> awesome. Wow. Thank you so I love so much. All these I, I love yeah. connecting all these things because Me too. it's all the same thing, right? We're just in life. Yeah. This is what we're doing for yeah. whatever time we have. But I think what I'm, one of the things I'm going to take away from this is thinking about control again and how control is so much our enemy. Yeah. Yeah. Soft front. <laughs> Strong back. Love that. Yeah. Yep. Love that. Thank you yeah. so much. It Appreciate was my it. pleasure. It was a joy. And um, thank you for Dana suggesting it. Yeah. I know. And, uh, he has some good ideas yeah. sometimes. <laughs> he has lots of good guy. ideas. He's a smart guy. And you talk guy. about a guy who, when he's playing music, goes off to that place. Yeah. He's pretty masterful at that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I love listening. All right, Dan. I'm sure we'll do this again. I'll have more questions. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Great to see you, Karen. Thanks for yeah, asking. You too. Bye bye. All right. Bye. If this episode resonates with you, Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process. <laughs>